Thank you, God, for the revelation of your Son, Jesus Christ, to be our Savior. Thank you for the revelation of your Son, Jesus Christ, to be our Savior through the words of, of Paul in his book to the church in Rome. As they explored it, so we explore it over these next many weeks, and we pray for a, a strengthening of faith, greater awareness of your love for us, and a greater resolve to share that love through words and deeds uh, within the congregation, within family settings, and into the community beyond. So guide us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, again, happy Father's Day to the guys, uh, to the dads in the congregation, granddads, and uh, pray God's blessings on your household. Uh, really is a big responsibility to be a dad, to be a father, to reflect the same kind of love that, that the Heavenly Father has for us. And so... Uh, uh, may God bless the dads in the congregation. We're looking at the book of Romans, as we've said, and we're going to do that throughout the summer months. All of this is part of a run-up to the uh, celebration of the 500th anniversary of the Reformation a little later on this fall. Um, you know, the book of Romans was just pivotal in the life of the church. It was pivotal for the time of the Reformation. Uh, and... Uh, it's pivotal for us because the church is always reforming. Uh, the church is always having to get back to the truths of God and to the words of God. The church always has problems drifting away uh, into the ways of the world and the thoughts of the world and away from God. So it's good for the church, it's good for you and me to look at the book of Romans and to again examine what it means that we're saved by, by what Christ has done for us in Jesus. You might call this... Uh, uh, the Gospel according to Paul. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, you could call Isaiah uh, the, the Gospel according to Isaiah as he has all the prophecies about the coming of the Messiah. Now we have the book of Romans. We, again, we might call it the uh, Gospel according to Paul as he, as he fleshes out, as he puts into different places and, and parts uh, what it is that Jesus has done for us. Uh, through his death and resurrection. And so we, we're, we're looking at that. Now last week we, had, we started with a theme verse, and the theme verse for the book of Romans is um, from Romans chapter 1, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of the good news, not ashamed of it, which means he was really proud of that. That's where he was glad about that. He wasn't so much glad about himself anymore. For it is the power of God. God is the one who does it for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. One of the things that we'll see through the book of Romans, and it's encouraging for us, and we'll see it in some more detail uh, today, that Paul levels the playing field. Uh, uh, no one gets into the kingdom, no matter how good he is, and no one is kept out of the kingdom, no matter how bad he is. He just kind of levels the playing field as he explains how we're saved by God's grace through faith. And so this is to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God, God is the right one. God is all put together. God is all organized. And God puts things right for us in Jesus. For in it, for in the gospel, this message... The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. It's kind of like we talk about communion. 
in, with, and under. How is Christ present in the sacrament? In, with, and under. What we mean is hard to put it into words, but it's all about in, with, and under. You just lump all these prepositions together. So we are saved from faith, for faith, in faith, by faith, through faith. It's all about faith. It's meaning it's all what God has done for us, not what we do. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Not just in the hereafter, that when you die you're living by faith, but in the here and now already, we're living according to this faith, this confidence in the presence of God. So, so Paul gives us this theme verse uh, um, uh, at the beginning of the gospel, and, or at the beginning of his uh, letter, and then he's going to go now into some detail. And, and the next point he makes is about how it is that people are saved. Now this might surprise you, especially sitting in a Christian church, in a Lutheran church. This might surprise you. Paul teaches how it is that we're saved, and what he says is that we are saved by works. That's what he says. This is from Romans chapter 2. Uh, he writes, He, God, will render to each one according to his works. How is it we get saved? Paul says by works... There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and, the, and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. Paul is teaching that people are either saved or lost by their work. And this is actually the clear and consistent judgment of God throughout Scripture, uh, from the beginning of Scripture to the end of it, from stem to stern, uh, Scripture teaches that people get saved by what they do. Uh, good works, you get saved. Evil works, you're condemned. Those who do evil will have eternal condemnation. We might say eternal condemnation. And those who do good will have eternal life. We should be clear on this. God is interested in good works. God wants us to do good works. In fact, it says in Ephesians 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 10, and we always talk about Ephesians 2, 8, 9, but then there's also verse 10, where it says, He created us in Christ Jesus to do good works which God purposed beforehand that we should walk in them. It is God's will for us to do good works. People are saved by good works. Jesus said it. Matthew chapter 25, he said, who's going to be saved? I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was naked, you gave me something to wear. In prison, you came and you visited me. You know, this is what the Jews thought anyways. That they had the covenant, and because of that, they were going to be okay because they followed these laws, followed these rules, and they understood that they were going to be okay. This is the clear and consistent teaching throughout Scripture that people are saved by good works. And that's where Paul tells them then, both the Jews and the Greeks, that nobody has good works to offer up before God. Paul goes into great explanation in the first little bit of Romans to show how the Jews don't have good works. They might have the covenant, but they haven't followed it. And, and the Greeks, they've got all kinds of laws. They have the natural law, but they haven't followed it. 
What Paul is doing, it's, it's kind of like what, what Jesus did. He had that, that rich young guy came out to him and he said to him, hey, what do I need to be, do to be saved? He said, well, what does the law say? And it says, well, do this, this, and this. And the guy said, well, I've done all those things. And then Jesus said, well, there's one other thing. Sell everything you have and follow me. And a man went away very sad. And the disciples were a little befuddled about that because they thought rich people were especially blessed by God. And so they said, well, who can be saved? And that's where Jesus said, with man, it's impossible. So he was taking them down a peg, like Paul's doing for us. He's going to take us down a peg. He said, with man, it's impossible, but not with God. All things are possible. Paul writes in Romans chapter 3, he writes, all have sinned. And he goes into uh, some great explanation about how all have sinned, whether they had the law or they didn't have the law. Uh, you know, this is a trick, tricky topic. People don't like to talk about sin. We don't want to think about You might call it a great American or great modern heresy to think that, well, people are okay if you just leave them alone. They're basically good within. Paul, you know, this is brutal. <laughs> this is brutal. He just takes us all to task explaining how all have sinned. You know, there are different pictures of sin. You probably know these. Uh, one picture of sin is about missing the mark in, in a bullseye. God says, I want you right here in the middle. And so to sin is to not be where God wants you to be. There's another view of sin like going over a fence, trespassing. God says, stay, stay out of there. Stay out of that field. I don't want you to do those things, say those things, think those things, be in those areas. And to sin is to go where he doesn't want us to be. Another view of sin, this one's not very flattering, no offense. Uh, a picture of a, we'll call it a donkey. <laughs> but that's us, that's what sin is, rebellion against our master. No, we'll go our way. We'll do our thing. We don't care what you think. We're going to run things. That's what sin is. And Paul goes even deeper than that. Uh, deeper than saying that all have sinned, but he also says that all are under the power of sin, like shackles, like, like handcuffs. He says, what then, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. Under the power, under the, the strength of sin. See, I know this is very brutal, but Paul is going into some great detail about what our human condition is before God. And this isn't true just of you. <laughs> it's true of you and you and you and, and me, of everyone. There's this need that we have for God. And he goes into great detail. Uh, this is from Romans chapter 3, verse 9. He says, uh, None is righteous, no, not one. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Actually, what Paul is going to do in this section is uh, quote a whole litany of Bible passages. This is from Psalm 14. Uh, then he says, their, thro their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive, Psalm 5. The venom of asps is under their lips, that's Psalm 140. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness, Psalm 10. Proverbs 1, he says, their feet are swift to shed blood, in their paths are ruin and misery, and a way of peace they have not known. And then he says, this is Psalm 36, there is no fear of God before their eyes. 
brutal. This is the human condition. This is our condition. And it's a level playing field. You know, there, there can be no self-righteousness. I'm ahead of her. She's behind me. This is the case for all human beings. And, and, and we, we get to the point of despair. You know, when you go through this, you say, well, then who can be saved? That's what the disciples said that day. Well, then who can be saved? And that's where Paul explains the gospel. Chapter 3, verse 21, he says, but now, but now, something has changed, something has happened. God sent Jesus. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The righteousness of God. God is holy and righteous. He cannot handle things being unrighteous and broken. So God is at work in Jesus to kind of lift up that, that lampstand that's fallen and crashed all over. God lifts it back up. He makes it right. He puts it back together. And He gives it as a gift to us. It's His doing, not ours. It says, verse 24, they are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. See, we're saved by work. We're saved by work, but it's not our work. It's what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. He did it. This propitiation business should draw to mind uh, uh, the, the tabernacle and the Holy of Holies and, and the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, the high priest would go in once a year and offer up blood. And that's what God has done for us. God's righteousness has been at work. He sent Jesus into the Holy of Holies. He sent Jesus to the cross to pour out His blood to purchase for us salvation. We're saved indeed by works. But it's Jesus works for us that we receive just as a gift. Paul says then, this was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. They might have started to wonder in the Old Testament, well, maybe God wasn't serious about all this righteousness. Look at all the stuff He lets go. Well, God was letting it go for a time, but He was going to fix it at the right time in Jesus Christ. And so his righteousness gets shown in Jesus. And it was to show his righteousness at the present time. <clears throat> so that he might be just. God is holy and pure. God is upright. He has set things upright. So he is both just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. He gives us that gift. During the summer season, we're going to be looking at, at what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And Paul goes into great detail about the, the righteousness that we have through work, the righteousness that we have through the works of Jesus Christ. And so in the text today, he's really taking us down a peg <laughs> only to lift us up a notch. And that's at that tail end of this. It says, then what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Paul wants to take us up a notch, that we would boast in the Savior, that we're no longer boasting in ourselves, bragging on ourselves, patting ourselves on the back for anything, but rather our boast is in Jesus. Look at what He has done for us, how He has given us. That's why we worship Him. That's why we praise Him. That's why we sing His name. That's why we don't want to say anything bad about Him. 
So because of all of this, we now are ever more committed to boast in the Savior. Second, we hold to the universality of the gospel. Once we really sort this through, we see that there is no favoritism. Jew or Greek, Lutheran or Presbyterian, (laughs) there's no favoritism. That all are saved and all need what God offers only through Jesus Christ. He says, or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Think about Paul. Uh, Paul was writing this letter from Corinth, and he had already started some churches in Asia, Asia Minor. He had started some churches in Greece. He was going to go down to Jerusalem, but he wanted to come on to Rome in order that he could then go on to Spain. Paul was working like mad to get the gospel out because he said, everybody needs this. I hope this takes us up a notch. You know, we're working like mad as a congregation. The two churches coming together and one and all of the things that we have going on. We're working like mad on all of this. But it's important for us to do so because of the universality of the gospel. Everyone needs this. And this is the only thing that saves. Paul might be taking us down a peg today, but let's let him take us up a notch. And there's a third thing. That we would love God and people in action. Paul ends this little statement by saying, do we then overthrow the law by faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. He was saying, well, if we can't keep the law anyways, do we not have to pay attention to it anymore? Just do whatever it is we want. He says, by no means. It's been fulfilled for you, but now we are to go out and to live according to that law. And what is the law? What What is the law of God? How do you summarize the whole law of God? Isn't it this? To love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Paul is taking us down a peg to lift us up a notch, to go out into the world and to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves out of great gratitude for the work that He has done for us in Jesus Christ. God, through the gospel, has a bias for action. By His grace through faith, May we go out and do the same.